You're listening to episode number 15 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today, our special guest is Dr. Tony Breitbach. Tony is a leader nationally in interprofessional education, and we're going to have a lively conversation about the interprofessional education and collaborative practice polarity. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. Hello, everyone. It's Michelle and Tracy, and we just finished an awesome interview with a dear friend and colleague, Tony Breitbach, and um, he's just awesome, isn't he, Tracy? Yeah, he's so he's just fun. <laughs> I know he is. <laughs> we laugh and just have a great time whenever we're with him. He's so energy giving and just a great guy. Yeah, and he's so wise, very wise. And of course, I think we're really kind of kindred spirits because we're all passionate about our topic today, interprofessional education and interprofessional collaborative practice. So we got that going for us. Yeah. And, you know, we did a uh, we did a previous episode on this, you and I. Uh, it was actually episode number five. And we really walked through the whole polarity itself, right? All the positive outcomes for focusing on interprofessional education and collaborative practice. And of course, the downsides, right? When we overfocus on one to the neglect of the other. Um, and yet, you know, uh, today, so today we're just going to be talking to somebody who's right in it, right? That's like right. he is in the midst of it mm-hmm. at a national level. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how there is a call, right, to align interprofessional education and collaborative practice. And, uh, you know, there's been some reports out that have called for it. There's a lot of uh, emphasis right now on the need to develop, you know, the practice setting as a learning environment. So there's just, there continues to be more and more, you know, Mm -hmm. to move it forward, to keep it in motion. And and, and I think, uh, you know, he brings such a unique perspective um, because he's engaged in a lot of different ways at the national level. So... Why don't you tell us a little bit about Dr. Breitbach? Yes. So Dr. Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Breitbach, is a tenured professor and serves as the director of the athletic training program in the Doisy College of Health Sciences at St. Louis University. And he also serves on the National Athletic Trainers Association, or NATA's Executive Committee on Education. Wow. Well, Tony is also NADA's liaison to the Association of Schools of Allied Health Professions. He also serves as the chair of ASAP's Interprofessional Subcommittee, as well as their representative on the Interprofessional Education Collaborative Council. Like that, that's a whole lot of stuff right there, right? <laughs> yep. But then in 2018, you know, because he's such a wonderful person and such a giver and engaged in all of this, he was named as ASAP's fellow and received their Outstanding Member Award. 
He also is the chair of the program committee and serves on the advisory board for the American Interprofessional Health Collaborative and is an associate editor of the Journal of Interprofessional Care. So this guy's just got a couple of things going on, right? Like he's got his fingers in everything, and he's amazing, as you can tell, right? Yeah. And we will we'll put some links to all these different organizations, you know, because we realize some of you listeners may not be familiar with some of these. So we'll put some links in the show notes so you'll know where to go to learn more about these different organizations and associations that yeah. Tony's engaged with and that we're familiar with. We'll be talking a little bit more about that uh, you know, as we go through the uh, through the interview with uh, with Tony, yeah, and we'll add all of his social media links because you got to follow him on social media. He's just the best. Yeah. And so, without further ado, here's our interview with Tony Breitbach. Hi, Tony. It's Michelle and Tracy. Hey, Tony. Good to see you. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Oh, we're great. We're doing fantastic. Awesome. So we'd like to start out with something fun, Tony. And, you know, when we think about you, we think about all the fun cities we get to show up with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool stuff, isn't it? Yeah, we've been to some pretty cool places. And, um, oh, absolutely. Our work takes us in a lot of different places because of speaking engagements and conferences and forums. And we were just curious, what is your favorite city and why? Um, I actually have two. I, I would say the city I go to regularly that I like the best is Washington, D.C. Um, that's just an incredible city. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when, when I go there for IPAC or, or anything else and and just to have the morning to walk around the city and just, just you know, it's the hub of our nation, you know, it's pretty great. Um, the other cool city I've been to is um, I got a chance to present with Scott Reeves at um, Altogether Better Health at Oxford and in England. And that was, that was an incredible, incredible experience. I mean, for, for a, a kid from Dubuque, Iowa to be walking around the streets of Oxford was pretty amazing stuff. So, um, so no, I, I'm, I'm absolutely blessed, but I, I would say Washington DC is probably the, my favorite city. That's one well, of mine I, too. I have to agree with you around Oxford. Yeah, I was yeah, there yeah. too at the all together better with my husband and it, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. It was yeah. an awesome experience. Yeah. Well, you know, Tony, you are, uh, you're an amazing leader in interprofessional education and collaborative practice, and you are so connected <laughs> and involved in so many levels and so yeah. many ways. You know, you just presented as part of the keynote at the Nexus Summit, right? Yep. yep. And uh, your work with IPAC and, you know, just... Wow, the list could go on and on. And so yep. we're just really grateful to have you here today to talk with us about, you know, the the interdependent relationship between interprofessional education and collaborative practice. And so we want to start out with just, um, you know, because you are engaged at the national level in so many different ways, what is it that you're noticing is happening around, you know, trying to align interprofessional education and collaborative practice at the national level? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really where um, that's really where the rubber hits the road right now um, at the national level. I think um, I think up to this point, we've been trying to kind of refine um, the education side of it and um, hoping that um, education will drive some change in healthcare. But the reality is, is that it's got to come from both sides. So you know, getting the academics together with the educators is, is really a, a, a key situation there. Also, um, I think the other one is is creating a, uh, conditions from a funding standpoint and from from a policy standpoint that encourages encourages um, people to collaborate um, is another really large area. I think um, 
I think uh, that's a really important one. And now the third thing I would say is bringing um, alternate kind of professions into the mix. You know, it, when, when IPE really started off, it was really more of a medicine, nursing, pharmacy thing. Um, there's been a, a big growth in the past 10 years, but I think um, looking out of the box, like engineering and psychology and all those, you know, the social work and all those things, are they're great partners for interprofessional education and, and, and collaborative practice. Yeah, those are great, great examples. Um, and, you know, we, we really know that that alignment and that uh, connection between the education and the practices, you know, it's starting to become front and center, which is really, really critical to achieving the goal that we want for yep. IPE and ICP. What do you think, Tony, are the greatest challenges regarding that alignment? Yeah, and I, and I, I think I think the, the 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 biggest challenge right out of the gate is really that clinical education environment. I think uh, that's really where education and and the clinical practice really interface the most. Um, otherwise, they kind of exist on their own um, from a from an administrative structural standpoint. But um, that where we could really impact it is in the clinical education. So like, for example, the NICICLE document that came out about the interprofessional clinical learning environments. I think that's a, that's an important document um, that really focused on, on that area. And then some of the things that we're doing at ASAP has really, um, the Association of Schools of Allied Health Professions um, has really focused on really creating that um, optimal clinical learning environment. Also, and then the other thing, like I said before, is is really finding ways to advocate for in, within healthcare systems and and within um, um, legislation and and regulation is supporting value-based models, collaborative practice. Um, we're you know getting away from a fee-for-service model where where we're you know, healthcare teams can be valued and they, they get paid appropriately. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is we, you know, are at different conferences, we're engaged with different people around interprofessional education and collaborative practice is just that there, you know, the, the practice side of things doesn't seem to be very aware of what's happening nationally from the IPECP perspective. You know, it's a little bit different if you have some interprofessional students coming into the organization, mm -hmm. right, to right. be educated. But when it comes to this bigger global alignment and need for uh, partnership, I think there's, I just think there's still a big gap in awareness. Would you, do you have yeah. any experience Yeah, I would think, that? I would think those gaps are um, really manifest themselves the most in, in two areas. I think most of the conferences that really address these issues are academic conferences that that clinicians aren't very motivated to go to. They don't get continuing education for it. They they um, it takes their time. And um, and so one of, actually one of the things that we started doing with with ASAP in my role in there is we actually did a uh, on campus activity where we actually brought um, academics and clinicians together instead of expecting these clinicians to go to a, like in, to a, a, a conference city that we we actually go to an area where there's a lot of clinicians and universities and bring them together physically there I, another thing um, another thing that's that's a hindrance to that is the fact that uh, we 
we've, we train about 5% of the workforce every year, but we still have another 80 to 90% of the workforce that's never been exposed to interprofessional education. Um, that really became, uh, Michelle, you and I were at the Global Forum workshop where um, one of the, um, um, uh, an employer came to us and, and almost kind of shook everybody by their collar and said, you know what, you know, we really, you know, we really have to do so much training um, you know, upskilling our, our people at the sites to be able to accomplish what we need to. And I think that's, uh, and th there's a lot of detail about that in that global forum from the National Academies of Medicine report. Um, if, if people want to read about that, it's a, it's a great resource. And um, it was a very eye-opening experience. I know Michelle and I were both at, the, at, the, at that workshop and it was, it was a pretty amazing experience. Yeah, Tony, we see the same thing too. You know, in education, IPE has really taken off. But to your point about, you know, what came out in the global forum, there's this big gap in practice. And um, what we know in working with healthcare organizations across, you know, North America, there isn't really a champion for ICP in organizations. People just assume it's going to get done. And even patients think, don't you talk to each other? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work to be done in that space. Yeah. And I think, or, you know, there's probably pockets, right, of healthcare organizations that are a little bit more advanced around that and um, have people that have more intentional focus uh, for collaborative practice, but it's not mainstream, right? You know, and I, I agree. I think um, the term I like to use that they drink the interprofessional Kool-Aid. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of Kool-Aid drinkers and academics, and they're, they're, they, there's not that many um, and and part of it is because they believe in it, but they don't feel like they're supported. And I think that's where that institutional support is really important. And I think that's one of the things that really came out when we all worked together on the first ASAP summit was was really to that what opened my eyes to the whole polarity thinking thing was the fact that that these there, it's not an either or these these things need to be managed um, simultaneously. And if you have a if you have a better understanding of what were the lenses the the other people you're working with are looking through. I think you can um, you can get a better sense of uh, how to manage the situation f for the benefit of everyone. Yes, definitely. You know, we were just really honored that you asked us to uh, facilitate the um, the summit for the Association of Schools of Allied Health Professions uh, around healthcare workforce readiness, right, for interprofessional collaborative practice and. Um, you know, so what what was it that really drove you to want to share this new way of thinking, this new lens with your constituency? Yeah, I, I think one of the things I was really we were, I'm the chair of the IPE committee for um, ASAP and and our president, Susan Hanrahan, really challenged us to look differently at IPE. You know, that I think, you know, you go to these conferences and you see a lot of the same kind of presentations where people are really excited about a, a specific learning activity they're doing, or maybe even a little bit bigger than what they're doing institutionally, but they're not really looking outside their institution, number one, and they're not really looking at the impact it has on the healthcare providers and their clinical partners in the area. So so um, actually through a common connection, we um, I, I was connected with you, with both of you, and, and we started to brainstorm about this and we're like, and this whole idea of this um, uh, polarity thinking really started coming through, and I really wasn't that aware of it before that. And and it just there's a truth in it that that um, you know once you start understanding it better and and um, and 
it really it really hit home with me. I think also the fact that ASAP has both industry and um, uh, academic members. Um, I think that that makes a big difference too. So we were able to leverage the membership of that organization to get some more academic in, um, uh, clinical healthcare industry people to the table. Um, that you know, most a lot of these other organizations are mainly based around education. Yeah, and I I agree with Tracy. It was so great to be invited and to be a part of that summit. And yeah. I think um, the planning committee even took it one step further and gave all of the uh, members and participants that came the opportunity to take the IPE, ICP polarity assessment. So we had data at the beginning of the summit, and one of the things it showed is that um, – is that it wasn't really being well managed on both sides. And then it really shows our true reality um, with IPE and ICP. And it was a pilot descriptive study. You know, we, we had a small N, um, but we did have an IRB approval through St. Catherine's University. Thank you, Lisa Dutton. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it, it, it did show with the combination of people that did participate that this is a polarity that we we really need to do a lot more to, to manage. And I just was curious what your experience was um, for you going through the assessment process and seeing um, the participants' reaction. And what was some of your biggest takeaways? Yeah, I think it was really, it was it was good and messy, which was really good. That And that's, and, and, and really that's, that's the good part about um, being a part of this is that we all kind of checked our egos at the door and it, and it was good and messy. And, and you guys did a fantastic job of facilitating it. And really we had people that really felt comfortable talking a lot about a lot of issues. And I think every person that walked out of that um, had a very positive impression and a greater understanding of, of the issues that are in, that are in healthcare and in, in uh, interprofessional education and also um, how to, how to look at approaching it as a good on the line. So then after, after the summit, we, we, we put together a report that, that we, that is still um, actually on the ASAP website. And then we presented it at um, the ASAP meeting in the fall. And I know it was presented at the National Academies of Practice conference in the spring. And actually we're continuing work together. It's, it's a great collaboration. The team that, that um, worked together at the summit are still, we're still doing things together, which is fun. We've submitted a manuscript and those types of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What about the um, what about the participants? What was the feedback, Tony? Can you share, you know, kind of how yeah, participants yeah. really felt? I think it, it depended on the lenses they looked through. You know, the academic administrators are yeah are the yeah but people. You know, like yeah but you know that type of thing like that. Um, but there are you know the rank and file faculty and then some people on the practice side. Um, it was it was a great chance for for interaction. Um, I think that the biggest I think the biggest impact on myself when we went through that is the whole um, warning signs, those early warning issues. I think, I think, um, you know, we all have worked in, we all, we all know when the train's kind of coming off the tracks a little bit, um, but we've never quantified it like that, like they do with your workshop. It was, it was really cool saying, Hey, it's normal for these early warning signs to happen. We just need to know how to respond to them. And I think, I think that's one of the things where um, sometimes people just get frustrated by it. But 
but um, if you look at things through these polarity lens, you you realize that there's an a, there it it they will happen. So it's it's a matter of you need to be ready for them. You need to be ready to manage them, and you need to not realize that you know you're failing. You're just it's just get, you just got the yellow lights blinking at you, and you're like, hey, you need to do something about this. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a good indicator, right? When when there's that overemphasis uh, yeah. on one pole to the neglect of the other, and uh, and they they do occur, right? But the stronger you are on both poles, the stronger we are in collaborative practice, and the stronger we are in interprofessional education, the less frequent we're going to experience those, right? So, which is the overall goal. And uh, you know, I think one thing uh, that was so much fun is because when you put it in a polarity you know, framework and you walk people through the process, I had so much fun with all these participants that came from different organizations across the country. Oh, yeah. When one person would say an early warning, all the rest would go, yes! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so exactly. it's really validating yeah. that th- these are universal, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's kind of back to that rule of thumb that, you know, what's most personal is most general. So what yeah, we yeah, all yeah. think, oh, this is just us and this is what we're experiencing, but no. <laughs> it's pretty much no, everybody, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think I think one of the things too is it it encourages us to be more reflective. I think um a lot of times people um really have a tendency to look at things as transactional. Um and I think when you're more reflective and you and you think about, you know, where is this in the continuum of how things are going? Um, how, do, how do we react to other people, um, other people's uh, context and the way they look at things? I think it's really important to do that. And, and that's the other thing I think I got out of that activity that we're in working with you all is that, you know, you become more reflective on, on, on kind of the landscape of what's happening. It's like and um, and, you know, you don't look at things as yes or no's or up or down or or left and right, you look at things as, okay, on a continuum and we're, we're, where are we at right now? We we're kind of in a, we're kind of in a bad place right now. We got to kind of work our way back to the better spot, you know, and you know, it's not a switch you flip. It's a, it's a, it's a slider, you know, and you go back and forth between it. So. Yeah. It's a dynamic process, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because we know, you know, there's a lot of internal and external factors that impact IPE and collaborative practice and you're always dancing, right? Where do we need to put oh, our sure. attention? I think the big thing is just don't let go of the ball, right? <laughs> don't let oh, go of the other ball. It's yeah. like that juggling, right? You got to keep them in the air and you can't let one drop. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think too is um, you, when you when you better understand that dynamic, you can better support the other people in the system too. So so I think sometimes uh, you, you, you don't realize that the things you do impact that other person that you want to be their partner. You know what I mean? You want to be working with them and we're not making, you know, we weren't making it easy for them. So, so the example I used earlier about the fact that one thing we realized is that we're making it hard for, for people from the clinical side to interact with us because we only, we only get together at these conferences and, and those types of things like that. And I think to develop more venues where we come to the practice side. So, you know, um, I think that that's, that's really important. I think that's going to be a big growth area in, in, in the interprofessional space is, is really taking, taking, taking the research to the clinicians instead of expecting the clinicians to all kind of work on our timelines and on, and our locations and all those types of things like that. Yeah. And I, I think it's about invitation, right? 
And I think, um, I, I guess, kind of one of my concerns has been there has been a lot of growth in interprofessional education, the academic side of things. And a lot of what's happening nationally is driven through that lens of IPE. Yep. Uh, Kate, you know, here, so an example of that is looking at the practice environment as a learning environment, right? Like that's, that's an academic view of the practice setting. And so I think the invitation to bring practice leaders to the table to say, what's your view? What are the realities in collaborative, you know, practice in a, in a practice setting, um, you know, that we need to be considering, right? Like it's just that invitation to open up, to see the whole picture um, and not just see the, the clinical environment as a learning environment, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you, Tracy. I think um, one, I was actually at another, I was actually participating in another workshop at the Nexus Summit and, um, and we, we did a survey um, through the National Center on organizational models for IPE across the country. And one of the things that we were talking about is, is ways that people engage clinicians and in clinical education environments and practice environments, those types of things like that. And one of the things is, is it's, you need to think of these clinicians as faculty. And, and you think of that their development is faculty development. So like the reality is, is if you, if you take this clinician seriously as a teacher, you need to provide them the same support you would provide the rest of your faculty or institution. And I think those are, those are types of things that are really, really important um, when you're designing, you know, when you're working with clinical partners and you're designing a system is that, you know, give the same infrastructure to your clinical faculty that you do your academic faculty and your didactic faculty at your institution. The other thing about IPE is everybody gets, you know, it, teaching IPE in the, in, in an academic environment is so fun um, that sometimes we get lost in the fact that sometimes it's outside of the context of real healthcare. <laughs> you know, you get really excited about it. You're like, this is awesome. These students love it and they think it's great. But they're like, wait a second, we're doing this in a lecture hall or a, or a classroom. And, and um, we need to, we need to create more authentic experiences for our students, you know, whether it be service learning, you know, things like the student hotspotting that they're doing um, in several places like Thomas Jefferson and North Carolina and those kind of things. Um, that's pretty important work. And, and um, there's a lot of different types of it. And there's also a lot of clinic environments. The big thing also is that, um, Another challenge that we're finding out too in the clinical environment is a lot of times there are these free clinics. Um, and the reality is it's not demonstrating how uh, collaborative practice is actually compensated for. And to, and to be able to have um, interprofessional practice happening in a, in a clinic environment that's, that's really, a, you know, that that is paid um, by third-party reimbursement and those types of things like that. I think that's another area that, of growth that's needed. And but it also that needs that needs governmental, that needs regulatory support, that needs um, that also needs financial support. I think you guys, I, I listened to your your podcast um, before talking about um, one of the big issues also is um, the whole issue of legal supervision of students. I think um, it's hard to have interprofessional. It's it's hard to have interprofessional um, uh, practice environments when you got to have one of every professional there. I think I think relaxing some of those um, regulatory requirements, accreditation requirements regarding you know it's okay for a physical therapist to to um, 
supervise a nurse and a nurse to supervise an athletic trainer and, and those types of things like that. And I think if we start to look at it through that lens, we can create more dynamic interprofessional learning environments. Yeah, that's a great point. It is. Yeah. You know, a lot of the infrastructures haven't caught up with where we're going, right, in the future. And so all those things are key components to the whole picture. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit before about the assessment that we did at, at the summit, and that really is a diagnostic tool to help people, uh, leaders, practice, and academic leaders really quantify, visualize, and understand, right, the realities um, based on the experiences of the stakeholders, right, in both environments. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, when we think about it's been 50 years, <laughs> right, or more mm-hmm. since oh, yeah. it was first recognized that clinicians needed to be educated together, clinicians needed to work together as teams and collaborate, and we've been striving to get that sustainable outcome, right? And there's been ebbs and flows over the years. And we're kind of in a in a more positive flow right now yeah. <laughs> versus yep. oh, an yeah. ebb, right? There's a lot of things that are contributing to that, which is really good. Um, but it's a it's a dual accountability between academia and practice for sure, right? Yeah, absolutely for sure. Um, uh, I think also, I think one of the points I make when I work in this space with people is that, is that people don't inherently collaborate. It is a skill that's learned, um, both in the practice and the academic setting. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, if most, most, the most human beings will just do it themselves and get it done quickly and be on with it. Right. Um, it, it takes, it takes some courage and skill and, and to be able to, um, work effectively in a collaborative setting. And I think, uh, I think that's one of the things that's the challenge and that's what we try to do in interprofessional education. And, and I think in, in collaborative practice has the same challenges and I think, but they don't have quite the protected space in collaborative practice that we do in education. You know, we know we can have them together in class. We can do whatever we want with them in class. Um, whereas in practice environments, they need, you know, they're concerned with, with the number of patients they have in production and meeting, um, you know, meeting, um, meeting uh, the different um, objectives they have from a return on investment standpoint in organizations. And, and that's where things need to catch up is, is creating a, creating a system that supports, you know, moving into that kind of uncomfortable space of collaboration. Do you have any experiences, Tony, with developing collaborative relationships when it comes to practice and education? Do you have, or do you have any suggestions for people that are trying to establish those collaborative relationships? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that I would suggest to people is that the definition of the definition of interprofessional education is is when two or more professions learn about, from, and with each other. So. I would emphasize the two or more. Um, go for little victories. Go for go find a really good partner, and make it awesome. And so, and then, and then what'll happen is is that will attract more partners. Um, sometimes I think one of the mistakes people make is try to make these big sweeping, these big sweeping changes in an organization. And organizational change is hard and messy and and faces a lot of resistance and people have turf and silos and all those types of things like that. But if you find a good partner, create a great situation with them and then maybe add another one in and add another one in and add another one in and, and build off your successes. I think that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why a lot of these, these, 
these IP efforts and I, IPCP efforts kind of um, fall apart is that they're too ambitious from the get-go and they don't have the they don't have the buy-in and the infrastructure that they need. The other thing is, as I talked about this earlier, is make sure the people that are facilitating it know what they're doing. Like, like literally give them the support so that they're comfortable facilitating these types of activities. Don't expect people that have been practicing uniprofessionally their entire life to be able to facilitate interprofessional practice. They can't. They 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 haven't had that. They haven't had that. They haven't had that foundation, and they and they probably don't feel supported doing it so that they, they've kind of shied away from it. So, so really give them that support they need to be able to facilitate interprofessional um, clinical education. Yeah, Tony, this is Michelle. I just love what you said about the skills. And that's something that we've recognized too, that you do need to have skill building, shared skill, you know, common language, share, share with each other what you're learning and one of the things that we provided at the summit was uh, an example of a practice education partnership infrastructure. And part of the infrastructure's intention is to do the skill building together, to have a place to practice, if you will, that oh, yeah. being together two or more. And and without an infrastructure, it's, it's just too difficult. Uh, you really need to build that into your process. Yeah, I think it, it, it can be very, very helpful. I mean, we've experienced this and leverage structures like this. So that's why we really promote it um, is to, you know, have a time set aside where you come together with a sole purpose to talk about how are we going to move this forward? What are you managing in the interprofessional education space? What are we trying to deal with in the collaborative practice space? How do we put action steps in place that are going to support both of us? You know, who needs to be at the table? Just all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, and, and, and it gives you that, that ability to practice the collaboration skills, but also at the same time be strategic about how you're moving forward so that you can start to get that sustainable outcome, right? Because you won't have sustainable outcomes if you don't have that partnership and that, the, you know, know the realities in both environments. You know, it's funny um, it, that you brought this up. Uh, um, the workshop that Scott Reeves and I did, the late, great Scott Reeves, and yes. he's yes. a wonderful Rest person. Soul. Yeah. And there was not a more welcoming mentor than him. I mean, he reached out to, he's so many people looked up to him. Um, we did a, a world cafe on on comparing the teamwork principles of sports to the p teamwork principles of healthcare. And, and, um, and you know, and, and the group that, participated in it identified certain things that sports have that healthcare doesn't. I mean, you have time to practice, you have space to practice, you um, you have clearly identified leaders in sports, you don't in healthcare. You, you, you know, sometimes a different person leads the team all the time. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Um, another thing is, is that you, winning and losing and success are, are well-defined in sports. They're not always well defined in in healthcare. You know, getting a, a victory with a stroke patient is very different than a victory with somebody with an ankle sprain. Um, those types of things like that. So, um, you know, I think I think um, we can learn a lot from sport actually um, on because they've invested a, you know centuries on building teamwork, but they have some administrative structures that healthcare doesn't have. They don't have the, the dedicated time and, and the dedicated leadership and the, the investment in, in teamwork that most healthcare systems have. Or coaches. Have, actually. 
Yeah. <laughs> they don't have the coaches. Coaches. Yeah. Yeah. And that's well, where that clearly I, I defined see. leader comes from. You know, yeah. I, they, 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 or their coaching. Yeah. They have this, that, that facilitation support. Yep. Well, I um, I smell a future podcast. <laughs> You'll be back. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that'd be fun. That would, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be fun to have that conversation. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much. Do you have yep. any parting words of wisdom that you want to share with our listeners, Tony? Yeah, I, you know, I would say I would say um, moving forward is 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 don't be afraid. Um, move move forward with confidence knowing that, you know, number one, um, you know, you can, you can make up for lack of experience with enthusiasm and, and um, passion for, for doing the right thing. And I think um, um, also uh, find mentors, find people, the, the, the people that work in this space, I would say, and you, you all have been to the same conferences that I have. There's nothing better than going to an interprofessional conference. It, it, you know, it's one of those conferences where everybody goes to every session and everybody's asking a million questions. And, and, um, it's just, you know, and it was such an honor to be able to be one of the, in the keynote panel at the Nexus summit. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was really, really cool. And, and it was, it was great working with you all. Um, you know, and I, it's so funny how every one of these interactions, we keep it up for a long time. It's not like a one and done deal. It's, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do together next? You know, all those types of things like that. So, so don't be afraid. Um, be confident um, and, and follow your passion and reach out to others because everybody wants to help each other. And I think uh, those are my, probably my, my key points um, I'd like to leave with people. Oh, that's excellent. And I, I think for me today, one of the things that, you know, I think that you said really struck me was just, you know, start and start small. Just start, right? Oh, just yeah. Find a partner. Reach out across the aisle, so to speak, right? Yeah. From academia to practice or practice to academia. You know, if you're in a practice setting and you don't have partners and, you you know, it's not really happening there, find somebody in academia that is engaged in IPE and just reach out and start a partnership, Right. Begin the relationship and start something small and just get going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for example, like um, one of the things I tell people in athletic training is like, if there's not a lot of people to partner with at your institution, maybe look at the community college that has a, an, has a, a paramedic and emergency medicine program or, or something like that. You know, think out of the box regarding your partners. Sometimes, sometimes the, the partners um, come in a lot of different sizes and shapes and you just can't be afraid to, to work with those people. That's right. That's right. So you want to know what my aha was? What, Michelle? What? <laughs> so um, being the immediate past president of the National Academies of Practice, which is all about you know advancing interprofessional care from a policy advocacy perspective, it just hit me that I am sitting with the very first associate member of NAP and the very newest <laughs> associate member of NAP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just hit That's me like, awesome. wow. Hopefully, hopefully uh, within a year or two, I uh, won't be an associate member That's anymore. Right. I'll be a part of an academy, but we're yeah. working on that too. So, so but what, what, it's, what it really, so for those listeners that don't know, NAP has 14 professional academies and uh, Tracy being a respiratory therapist and Tony being an athletic trainer, there aren't academies. So, but there is an associate membership and each of you took solo action to get connected with others and get engaged and actually are making, a, you know, both Tracy and I know you are, Tony, going to make a tremendous um, impact with that organization as well. So, um, 
That was something I didn't expect to come out of this podcast. So I'm sitting with, you know, some That's pioneers awesome. here. And thank you for introducing me to NAP. I I, um, I really didn't know much about the organization and I've really been totally impressed by the people that are involved with it and the kind of work you're doing and, and trying to move the needle um, from the practice side for sure. So um, advocating for, you know, um, more more regulatory and, and uh, administrative support for interprofessional practice. Yeah, and we're going to be together again. What's our next city going to be, Tracy? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yep. Right, Cab. right. We're going to be at the Collaborating Across Borders Conference and uh, presenting on our work that we did at your summit yep. and engaging people in a roundtable discussion around research related to, uh, you know, continuing what we started with the pilot study. So, yeah, that's a that's a great conference for anybody oh, that yeah. hasn't been to an interprofessional conference to go to that conference. It's, you know, it's really a collaboration between Canada and the United States, but there are, it is international and there are other countries that are represented as well, but it's a great place to connect with people and learn more. So we'll put a plug in for them and we'll put a link in the show notes and we'll reference also some of the reports again that Tony had mentioned and, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll carry it on. Right. We'll just yeah, keep it, that yeah, ball it, going down the field. And it, exactly. <laughs> and throw a bomb. Or, yeah. or go for the three yards in a cloud of dust too. <laughs> uh, the um, the one thing I would I would tell people that if you're just looking to dip your toe in the water um, and check out interprofessional education and professional collaborative practice, CAB is the Collaborating Cross Borders Conference is a great first experience. It and in Indianapolis is an easy city to get to. Um, you'll come there and you'll be surrounded by all the people that are doing a lot of the work and. And um, and they'll and they'll welcome you into the fold. It's not one of those things where where you feel like an outsider. So if, if any anyone that's listening, you know, is interested and they they don't know where to start, a, the cab is a great place to get started. Yeah, that was my first interprofessional conference in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's that was the time. second one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I can't believe how much it's grown. It's just really incredible. And everybody yeah. there is just so welcoming and open and willing to entertain any question that you have. And they're just excited to talk to other people that are passionate as well and yeah. or have an interest, you know? So, yeah. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. It's yes. just been so great to <laughs> connect you, with you again today. And we can't wait to share this with our listeners. And thank you so much for asking me. This has been a great opportunity and it, you know, you, you, you both are such great friends and colleagues and I, just appreciate the fact that we get a chance to work together. So, you know, keep up the good work and, uh, and we'll keep the train moving, you know? All right. All yes, right. You Tony. Take care, Tony. Thank Bye -bye. you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.